As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode... Maurizio Pochettino, no news, it's good news. Sam Kerr scores goals, wins trophies, and it's all square between the two two-time European champions as Chelsea get ready to try and spoil City's title party. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. This is confusing, isn't it, listening? You never know what day of the week we're going to pop up on your podcast feed these days. But here we are. It's Tuesday as we record. It's me, Matt, joined by the Athletics Chelsea experts. Hello, Simon Johnson. Hello. And good morning, Liam Toomey. Good morning. I, for one, welcome our new Argentine overlords. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, Right. Sources speaking anonymously to protect relationships tell me Maurizio Pochettino (laughs) might well be the next Chelsea manager. Uh, Shocking, right? Uh, The latest Maurizio memo comes next. Right, at time of recording, we're still waiting for confirmation that Maurizio Pochettino will be the new Chelsea head coach from the club. Word leaked that a deal had been agreed on Saturday evening, been widely reported, but at the time of recording, still nothing official. Uh, Simon was on the Athletics Football Pod on Monday talking about this. Liam's written about Pochettino's time frame and setup, so we're well placed to get the inside track here. Let's start with you then, Simon. Uh, the deal is done, we are told. Um, we're told also that it's three years, so, so when's it going to get announced? Well, he's coming over some point this week to officially sign it, etc., etc. They are very wary about letting it be known when he's flying over. I think there's a certain uh, concern about the old um, being met at the airport, hounded by horrible journalists for a quote, etc., etc. So I, I think there's an element of that, but it will happen this week. Uh, at some point, uh, someone I spoke to said that they wouldn't even gauge whether it'd be early this week or later in the week. That's how paranoid they were about uh, about this information even coming out. So, but I don't think there's anything to you know be worried about. It's been pretty much the case since last month, really, that this has been sort of in the pipeline to happen. Him sort of posing for the cheesy picture, signing with a handshake with whoever. 
he gets to pose with, because there's a question for you. Probably be the co-sporting directors, I'd imagine. But you never know. Todd might show up or, or the dad egg barley. But, you know, it's just putting the, the, the full stop, the exclamation mark on something we've all known that's been coming for several weeks. And the terms of, of the deal, I heard it describes a long-term contract, which I'm not sure I put three years in the bracket of, even in modern football. But but does that show maybe a lesson that's been learned from giving Graham Potter such a, a bumper contract and then having to cancel it months later? Yeah, I think I think that is a fair summation of, of what's, what's going on. I think it's a more sensible contract. It, I think it's a sign of owners learning on the job. You know, learning from mistakes that perhaps have been made. You know, five-year deal for a coach these days is is great in theory, but in practice, it unless you're Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, there's very few managers that you can sort of justify giving that length of contract to because because we all know how quickly things can turn. And for Grand Potter, they didn't even turn really; they just they just flatlined. Uh, Liam, let's talk a little bit about the people he's bringing in with him. Jesus Perez is his long-term assistant who we've seen at Stamford Bridge with, with Spurs many times before. But he's bringing his son with him. Not not the Maurizio with a Z who plays for Watford, but another one. Yeah, Sebastiano or, or Seba, uh, as I'm told he, he likes to be called. He's probably the most recent addition to Pochettino's tight-knit backroom team. Most of them have been with him since Espanyol. Miguel D'Agostino, in particular, was a teammate of him from Newell's Old Boys. So these guys go way back. Seba is, is still pretty young. He's by far the youngest member of Pochettino's backroom team, but he's certainly here on merit. He's a, he's a sports science and, and fitness specialist. He's, he's an applied sports science graduate from Southampton Solent University. When he was appointed at Tottenham, there were... A lot of talks of, of nepotism, but Pochettino pushed back pretty hard on that. And, and um, Seba became the youngest sports scientist in the Premier League, first team sports scientist anyway, in 2016. So he certainly achieved a lot in a very short space of time. And I'm sure, I'm sure having his father as a very high profile coach has helped in that regard in terms of the opportunities he's had. But I know Pochettino has said that he wouldn't be surprised if his son goes on to work for another coach as well, given how good he is at his job. So it's quite a small backroom team. We hear that Chelsea would like to round out the staff with club coaches. We don't know who they are yet. There are some fine details still to be nailed down, but this is what the the main uh, makeup of, of Pochettino's team will be. The, the thing that interests me maybe more than anything is, is, is Tony Jimenez, his longtime goalkeeping coaches coming in. Chelsea now have more goalkeeping coaches than goalkeepers. <laughs> For the first team. <laughs> Hilario is still there. He's going to be there after the bomb drops. Don't worry about that. He's not <laughs> And Ben Roberts, you know, the, all the indications are right now that he will be staying. He is the one Potter era appointment who we we are under the impression will be staying at Chelsea. So how many goalkeeping cooks spoil the broth, as it were? I, I don't know the answer to that, but they, they also still have James Russell, who's kind of been an internal coaching development story as well on the goalkeeping side. So there maybe has to be someone to make way. And I think all eyes on that front will probably be on Hilario at this stage, given that he's almost the only Abramovich era survivor left. 
uh, yeah, just need to get a first choice goalkeeper to actually be coached as well, I suppose. Uh, all right, so we've got Pochettino Jr. coming into Chelsea. We've got Davide Ancelotti alongside Carlo. I, I, I'm putting the over-under at six months until Jose Mourinho Jr. is on the touchline at Roma. Um, Simon, have we had any words from within the camp as to how the players who are expected to be at Chelsea next season are, are reacting to this news? Are they are they broadly looking forward to working with Pochettino? Obviously, we've, we've heard a lot of talk about that, that maybe being an influence on the likes of Mason Mountain and Golo Conte you've got contracts to, to renew or, or sign hopefully um, just a few indications that obviously that Pochettino is is very respected players that obviously know players that that have worked under him will have heard what a good man manager he is as well as good coach but until sort of conversations are had with certain players then you know who, who knows how much of an effect he can have on morale. It's a bit late at this stage. I think the the biggest thing about about what's happening at the moment is just the end of the uncertainty that people will sort of know now what what is actually going on. But for some players, it won't make any difference whatsoever. Like they'll want to leave regardless. So, I think this is all all going to become uh, more clearer the picture over the next few weeks. But he can now sort of go about having these kind of discussions, just like I remember Antonio Conte meeting players uh, one-on-one um, back in 2016 before he started, and, and that, that had a bigger impact on the dressing room. Um, let, let's hope he can uh, history can repeat itself in that regard. Finally, on Poch then, Liam, we're not expecting him to be even in attendance at any of the last three games of the season. Obviously, only one more to come at at Stamford Bridge. I guess he might be able to go incognito to the Etihad or or to Old Trafford, but he's he's keeping a distance to try and make it a kind of clean break, fresh start. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't rule anything out, but I'd say it's probably likelier that he turns up at Cobham uh, at some point or, or maybe even as a a semi-frequent visitor there over these final weeks. I I don't know what value he'll get from being in the stands captured on cameras at games that he could watch on TV anyway. I know that you can maybe get a bit more of a tactical sense, but equally, I I don't think he'll be taking anything from these games in terms of the way Chelsea are playing because he'll be coming in with his own distinct ideas of what to do, of what teams to pick and how, how he wants Chelsea to play. So I do think these weeks will be much more informed by the conversations that he has with players, but also the conversations that he has with Lawrence Stewart, Paul Winstanley and with the ownership. Because the main benefit of Chelsea getting this over the line now is that they can really get their summer planning kicked into gear and have the head coach be an active voice in all of that and Goodness knows they have a lot of summer planning to do, so it, getting him in sooner rather than later is uh, is is best for everyone. I said finally, but Simon, I'll give you the last word on this. I feel a lot oh more optimistic about how Chelsea. <laughs> this is why I want to come to you because it's an optimism <laughs> question. Um, I feel a lot more optimistic about how Chelsea are going to be next yeah. season with Maurizio Pochettino. I know there's loads to do. They've got loads of players to get out. There's a, a whole sort of culture and mentality that needs shifting. And, and this season, that the stank's going to take a long time to wash off. But this is a, a proper coach who's coached at big clubs before, has a methodology, a way of working. And, and there are players in Chelsea squad who ought to fit to, to what he wants to do. There, there's reason to be optimistic here, right? Yeah. And, and to be honest, the, 
the reaction certainly on on social media again you know <laughs> quote mark social media but but you you got the feeling from Chelsea fans that that they're upbeat about it quite a lot of them if nothing else to troll Tottenham of course but it feels like Chelsea have stumbled their way to the right coach all along and I feel really bad sort of digging out Graham Potter every week but it just feels like this is this is the manager that Chelsea needed the new owners really wanted first time around that blend of someone that has got many of the characteristics that Potter still has and and, and we should always respect that he's a very good coach and I'm sure he'll go on to do good things somewhere else but he's also got the pedigree much more of a pedigree much more experience of working at a big club with big players, big egos. He's, he's got a few trophies in the cabinet. Um, he plays a certain style of football that I think will gel. He, he, he has developed young players at a higher level. So yeah, there, there is, there is a lot of optimism, but I suppose there's always going to be that. There are so many other dependables on this, you know, how the summer transfer window goes in terms of outgoings, getting this squad down to a, a good size, getting, players in key positions that Chelsea still lack but you, you sort of trust Pochettino to also develop the young players that Chelsea already have bought and Stroke have developed themselves from their own academy. I agree with everything Simon just said but I just wanted to add finally there's one question that I haven't even seen asked let alone answered and it's who will pose with players when they sign contracts because when Pochettino was at Tottenham there was basically a stock image of him with his arm around the shoulder of the player. And they would just almost Photoshop the player in, it seemed, when they signed a new contract. At Chelsea, we've seen the owners do it. We've seen Lawrence Stewart, Paul Winstanley do it. I think that's going to be a key battleground early for them to hash out. Who who gets to who gets that prime real estate next to the player who's signing a, a new inevitably long term deal? Long read on The Athletic coming up for you about presentation photos at some point in the near, <laughs> near future, I'm sure. All right, we'll get back to the men's team later. But Chelsea won the FA Cup this weekend, so it's high time we saluted that achievement. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Women's FA Cup final remains finely poised. But Pinilla Hart has made a difference and she's in again. Right hand side, pulls it across to Sanke! And there is the opener for 
Chelsea in the Women's FA Cup final. And who is it? Of course, it's Sam Kerr scoring once again on the biggest stage of all. And the backflip celebration to go with it as well. She bangs the Chelsea badge on her chest because she has found the breakthrough against Manchester United at Wembley. I think it's a sign of a great team. We honestly didn't have our best best game today, but that's a sign of a great team when you just push through and um, everyone did their part today and we stuck in it and, yeah, we got the win in the end. It's sad when you're out for, for so long, but then when you come back, you just have so much energy, motivation, hunger. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing to come back to this game and now to be involved uh, in the win. me if I don't say this, I'm a football fan and I've watched how much my club has suffered this year. We've had ownership changes, the men's team hasn't been brilliant. Chelsea fans, this is for you. Uh, thanks Emma, we needed that. I mean, we, we really, really needed that. Uh, thank the Lord then for Emma Hayes and Samantha Maker. On Sunday, the women's team saved the season for Chelsea Football Club by winning the FA Cup for the third year in a row. Liam, I'm going to use the word three-peat. I know you'll be a fan of that. Uh, it's not a real world, is it? But you know what I mean. <laughs> Kerr got the only goal of the game. That makes it 10 goals in six domestic finals for the imperious Aussie. Um, Chelsea were a bit lucky here, actually, Liam, weren't they? Because United played much better in the first half. Emma Hayes admitted that and that her team looked tired. But we come back to this old mentality monsters thing. And, and when the chips are down, this team have got the mentality and, and the, the quality to win a trophy, even if they're not playing well in the final. Three, Pete. Next, you'll be calling them world champions for winning the <laughs> FA Cup. Um, yeah, Chelsea women win. It's what they do. That habit has not been lost everywhere at Cobham um, and and Sam Kerr in particular delivers consistently when it matters most and it was in, in many ways a, a, a kind of classic Chelsea performance in one of these big games where as you say they were not entirely convincing uh, for, for long stretches early on gave up maybe a few chances gave the other team that glimmer of hope that they could win the game and then just snatched it away with with a moment of ruthlessness and quality and then closed it out really professionally. And um, yeah, it's it's another... Is it a fifth FA Cup that Emma Hayes has won? It is just remarkable. I know it's not the biggest trophy that they can win, but it all goes towards maintaining that culture. And we've seen on the men's side how easy it is for that culture to slip. So it's no small thing for 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 Emma Hayes to keep adding to these trophies and, and keep this group of players winning on a consistent basis. And it's nice for players like Penilla Harder and and Magda Eriksson as well, because you know it might be one of the last celebrations they get with this group. It is a group that I think Emma Hayes will have to refresh again in the in the summer or the off season, Matt, uh, mm-hmm. as we might want to call it. But um, it seems like what, whatever team she puts out there, they're always capable of getting the job done on the stage. 
Simon, Liam's kind of alluded to this, but I wonder if we're appreciative enough of, of the brilliance of this team. You know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone kind of thing because they just make winning look so easy. You know, three successive league titles, three successive FA Cups. There's going to come a day where this is not the way that it is. But at the minute, we, we kind of just take it as red, don't they? That they get into a final like this and, and they go and win it. Well, um, the men are a, a sign of that, aren't they? You know, that this is what the men's team used to be like and do. So there is your, the warning for you that, that enjoy it whilst it lasts because who knows when suddenly sitting in 11th place, battling out with Crystal Palace. Um, but um, but this is this is the women's segment and should be uh, talked about appropriately, respectfully and, and with all due praise. I had the rare, this is almost a, an admission, one of many things I have in stuff to be embarrassed to admit including being in a trampoline park on on sunday um bouncing around like an idiot i actually got to attend an emma hayes press conference for the first time on friday which which is ridiculous but hey ho i did a double i did frank lampard and you can it was such a comparing control she had frank lampard first there's hardly anybody in there uh partly because the rail strikes but i think also because obviously no one cares and then the then Emma Hayes came in for the FA Cup final one, and obviously I've seen her many times uh, talk, give interviews. I know everyone's impressed with her, but I, I think I think it's only when you you sort of experience someone personally that you you get your own impression. And not only did she talk very well, she answered my questions. I actually came up with some uh, very well. She talked about with a real still in her eye that we are at our best level now, and it, and it felt like a real kind of Shots fired to particularly Manchester United um, ahead of the cup final, but also ahead of, of course, the run in for the for the title. But after the microphones were all switched off and stuff, she she spoke about how Barcelona, because I mentioned sort of Arsenal in the, in the Conte Cup final being a, a motivation, having lost lost the domestic cup final already this season. She said, "No, no, it's, it's not so much Arsenal; it's Barcelona." And she talked about how the second leg against Barcelona had bizarrely been the game that had convinced the Chelsea players how good they actually are. And you would sort of think, well, surely the, these women know how good they are. They've got the they've got the medals to prove it. But I think going toe-to-toe with, as Emma kept repeating, like the greatest team in, in the world, had really sort of given the players a, a, a real, real boost in belief. And in fact, that she kept saying, oh, I'd love to take on Barcelona now. Again, I, I want to play them now. And her passion, her enthusiasm, you can see where Chelsea get the steal from. It comes from the coach and it drips down. And And even though they weren't at their best on Sunday, they got the job done. And I, I found the comments from Mark Skinner sort of loaded in bitterness um, and, and him sort of saying, oh, you know, they weren't very good and, and, and you know, we're going to be where they are now. We're going to take the crown. It's just like, yeah, I, I, you know... Maybe he's a bit fired up for the title running, but I think that that will also have helped Emma Hayes do her team talk for her over the next final games. Yeah, interesting the the comparison between the the way she kind of fired shots across the bows of Jonas Cedarval before the um, the cup final last season and, and sort of won that psychological war as well. Uh, we must give a mention to Johanna Ritten Canard's wonderful river dance. 
uh, interpretation in the dressing room at Wembley at full time. Um, head over to, to Penilla Harder's Instagram if you haven't seen that because it is a thing of utter joy. Um, we talked about strengthening the team for, for next season. Well, Chelsea have announced the signing of Germany midfielder Sjöke Nusken from Eintracht Frankfurt. Many apologies to our German listeners and to Sjöke herself for that pronunciation um but yeah well done they're playing again on wednesday night tomorrow as we record chelsea will go top of the table above united if they win their game in hand uh, at west ham they then host arsenal at king's meadow on sunday expect some rotation obviously given that chelsea played a cup final at the weekend but west ham are absolute dross at the moment so you would expect chelsea to win that fairly comfortably he said touching wood okay congratulations then to emma and the team we'll get back to the men's side next Well, Chelsea and Nottingham Forest shared the points at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. The Blues were behind, then ahead, then level. Uh, Simon and I were both there. Only one of us needed to lie down in a darkened room afterwards. And only one provided a voice note. Let's find out who did what. So, the straight out of Cobham derby has finished 2-2. I think that's the most perfect way to end, isn't it? Uh, Just like the away game. Yeah, both sides. Point each. That way there's no arguments in the show. You can hear the away fans, they're, they're obviously uh, happier with the point than Chelsea fans. They uh, they booed the team off, quite a lot of them at half-time. I heard a few boos at the full-time whistle as well. But at least Chelsea turned up a bit in the second half. And we saw Raheem Sterling sort of show why Chelsea spent so much money on him. Two very good finishes. And uh, for a brief period of time, the, the home crowd had something to cheer. But defensive frailties came to the four again Edouard Mendy's first start for six months and it really showed I can see him applauding the crowd now but it's quite a sad sight really that um, Edouard Mendy was one of the Champions League heroes is now um, sort of a figure of almost fun to a degree there are a few crosses that he came and collected after the first goal for example and there were ironic cheers from the Chelsea fans this is uh, an indictment of how they view him as a goalkeeper these days but it wasn't just him, uh, I think there are a few other players that once again disappointed, but I quite like seeing Trevor Chalobah as the uh, sort of marauding, marauding on the right-hand side along with Madweki, and, and Chelsea actually got worse once Madweki went off. I, I don't know why he was brought off again, just like last week. Um, Ziyech came on, answers on a postcard for that one. Uh, same with Kai Havertz, Chelsea didn't improve then. I could see Stevie Cooper giving uh, Madweki a bit of a high five there. I think there's an England uh, connection there from the, from the youth. They look like they're uh, on good terms. I think uh, Stevie Cooper looked like what he saw from, from Madweki. Oh, I can see Lewis Hall. He's, uh, he did well, didn't he, on his first start uh, since Anfield in January. Uh, the crowd are giving him a little bit of applause as he comes off to his Chalibur. As Pelicueta's gone round, probably one of his uh, penultimate appearance not that he came on at Stamford Bridge but anyway I'm rambling on as, as per usual just to get a point season's nearly over uh, a few bright bright aspects to the game but um, I think Matt Davis Adams will be the happier out of everybody Hmm Matt Davis Adams will be the happier of everybody Simon I'm not sure there's a, a tinge of regret now as we are on Tuesday thinking that maybe maybe Forrest could have won that but Chelsea were were pretty poor in the first half and much better in the second would that be a, a fair reflection yeah I mean I, 
to qualify that comment, I think when the way Chelsea played in the second half went two one up, it it it, it was looking like Chelsea. Were, I was actually starting to think, oh, is this the first time Chelsea come from behind to win a game? This season, and of course, quickly snuffed out. I was with five minutes later, the brilliant defending from a set piece, and Forrest deservedly got a point out of it. So that, so that's what I, where I was coming from. That that at two one, and given Forrest's terrible away record, that that a point, almost your reaction kind of actually sort of emphasised how bad Chelsea are. That you're disappointed with getting a point at Chelsea. <laughs> Normally, that would be. You know, fantastic achievement. Now it's kind of oh, only a point at Chelsea, but no, I, 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 I thought it was a fair result overall. Lampard was very frustrated and and rightfully so with the speed of play in the final third in the first half, which which was very sort of we've seen that all season. Second half, they actually they actually play with a bit of speed. It was great to see Raheem Sterling. Um, he's coming for a lot of stick. But I, I thought, you know, for someone that, that this game really is, is not, given his CV, there's not much for him to to motivate him, one could argue. But he looked as motivated as anybody. And, and his second goal in particular was a sign of the player that, that Chelsea bought. Uh, I thought Trevor Chalibur was arguably the man of the match from Chelsea's point of view. I thought he was superb and perhaps, perhaps is another sort of reason why not why there's no point in rushing Reese James back for like a token appearance at the end of the season. But again, another team's come to Chelsea and if they've got a better striker than than Chelsea have. I thought a one year was a complete pain in the you know what and, and that physical presence. Fantastic. I could only sit and admire seeing a centre forward score two goals at Stamford Bridge yet again. Yeah, if he'd been fit all season I think Forrest would long since have been safe and whatever division they're in next year he'll get a get a few goals I'm sure uh, I'm going to ask Simon Liam about Edouard Mendy because he, he wrote about him shortly but I also wanted to get a word on on a Sterling and whether you think he's going to be at Chelsea next season I'm guessing his his contract means that yes he probably will be because there wouldn't be any takers but what about Mateo Kovacic I thought it was really interesting he he tweaks his knee and essentially just walks straight down the tunnel. And there's then about a five-minute period where Chelsea are trying to sort a, a substitute out. That did not smack to me of somebody whose commitment to the Chelsea cause is unwavering and is looking forward to working under Maurizio Pochettino next season. I didn't necessarily read that into that moment as much as Chelsea not having anyone ready to come on. It looked like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and I, I really like Loftus-Cheek, um, didn't have anything on <laughs> to come onto the pitch. It looked like he had to fully get dressed. Um, and he's not the first substitute that I've seen that happen to. I know you're not necessarily expecting to have to come on at that stage of a game, but... That's the oldest cliche in the book, though, isn't it? You should be. You should have your kit on if you're a sub, right? That's, that's I mean, even I know that. That's the nature of injuries. You know, like they can happen at any time and, and you need to be ready. And usually... Chelsea, for as long as I can remember, will send the substitutes in batches to go for a jog and a stretch along the touchline in the first half to make sure they are sort of a base level of ready if needed. So that that was more of it that surprised me was A, the fact that Chelsea didn't really seem to have anyone ready to come on and B, when Loftus-Cheek was finally ready, the players on the pitch chose to play with 10 men for another good two, three minutes. They were just, they had the ball. And they were just recycling 
you know, possession that even by this season's standards was sterile because you're trying to score with 10 men against the low block. Uh, it's not going to happen. Rather than just putting the ball out and getting getting the substitute on. That that was, in a season of uh, mystifying moments, that was that was particularly high on the list for me. Um, but getting back to Kovacic, uh, I would rank it very unlikely that he is at Chelsea next season. I think he's probably in the bracket of players, maybe along with Mason Mount, that would require a distinct uh, Mauricio Pochettino intervention at this stage to change course. Yeah, he's got, Kovacic has got a year left. I think he's got interest from other clubs in England and in Europe. I don't know where he'll end up yet, but I think it's it's probably, it makes more sense. Everything I'm told is that there's there have been no conversations about a new contract with him um, and his people. So I think he is, he is heading elsewhere. And I don't know if that's necessarily affected his performances. I know he's also been carrying injuries for a lot of this season. I think he was he was maybe managing himself to get to the World Cup. Then he played a lot of minutes at the World Cup, and I, I don't think he he admitted when he came back, we're all exhausted <laughs> before he even got back to Chelsea. And I, I think that has shown as much as anything in his performances in the second half of the season. But yeah, it looks like we might have seen the last of him in the Chelsea shirt. Hmm. Looks like a different player for Croatia, doesn't he? Uh, what about Eduard Mendy then, Simon? Bit of a surprise to see him back in the team, having not played for Chelsea since the last game before the World Cup. And, and it kind of looked like that, certainly for that first goal. He's, he's off in the summer, we assume. Uh, before I talk about Mendy, Matt, uh, just, just in relation to Kovacic, because of that injury, Karnicic Wemeka is going to stay for the rest of the season. So it's basically help with the numbers. A bit like Lewis Hall situation. Um Engolo Conte has also been ruled out for two, three weeks with a with a groin problem essentially his season's over. So Chelsea single handedly derailing England's under twenty World Cup. Yeah. yeah. So so um yeah let's hope like Hall he gets some minutes because he, he's been it's quite sad, sadly underused when and when, when you sort of think of how bad Chelsea have been it's a bit of a mystery that he's he's not been given more game time. Um, but back to Mendy, yes, um, yes, I, I don't expect him to be around next season. As I wrote in the piece, from my understanding, the club have pretty much let it be known to him that he's he's not wanted anymore. I mean, obviously, they want to get a good price for him, but you know they're, they've kind of given him the nudge that okay, go forth and find another club. He himself will want to find another club. I think he knows. That he's not he's not number one anymore with Kepa and of course Chelsea looking to buy another goalkeeper who will perhaps well undoubtedly be first choice. So yeah, it's just an incredible incredible fall from grace for Mendy and I, I felt sorry for him when Chelsea fans were sarcastically jeering and cheering when when he caught a ball or, or punched one clear after that the moment of that first goal. Yes, it, it was poor goalkeeping. I also thought. Silva and Baddy Shield didn't exactly cover themselves in any glory either in, in the way they defended the cross. Um, but all the blame seemed to be on Mendy for, for yes, admittedly a, a poor decision to rush out. And, and when you when you make the decision as a goalkeeper to come out for a cross, you've got to get there, not sort of flap unconvincingly. He's changing his agent, or he's in the process of changing his agent, which is always an indication of a player that is looking for a change of direction 
in his career. Um, but regardless, you know, even if he leaves this summer, which, as I said, is, is very, very likely, he will still leave as a, as a Champions League winner. And I, and I think he deserves respect for the, for the level of his performances for what a good 16 months in a Chelsea shirt where he was, um, well, as FIFA gave him the, the best goalkeeper award. You know, he was a tremendous performer. It was just the decline no one could see coming in his confidence levels and, and his performances. And, um, yeah, it's just a bit sad, the manner of, manner of his departure, but I'm sure a big club will come in for him and he can go on and rebuild his career elsewhere. Simon, did Lampard say after the match why he went back to Mendy from Kepa? He, he did a classic sort of non-answer, really. He went, well, I've got two good goalkeepers and... Uh, I'll pick one of them. <laughs> that was the gist of it. He's been training well, he said, didn't he? Training well. Oh, well, yeah, that is the classic. Yeah, yeah. He's he did now. Well. We haven't been working on catching crosses this week, but everything else he's done brilliantly. <laughs> my, 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 he obviously wouldn't say this. My sort of suspicion, my, of course, there may be an element of like the season's done. Chelsea have secured their Premier League status. He hasn't played for six months. Let's give him a go. But also, it feels a little bit. Let's get him out there to remind clubs that he exists and come make a bid. Oh no, he's made a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, the problem with that approach is that goalkeeper, maybe more than any other position on the pitch, apart from possibly striker, is a real rhythm position. if, If you're not in a rhythm of games and a rhythm of minutes, I think Mendy experienced this earlier in the season as well. You come in and your decision-making is just not up to its usual level. Your confidence is not up to its usual level. You don't have that innate familiarity with the defenders in front of you. And that uncertainty, teams usually find one or two moments in 90 minutes to test that. And that's what Forrest did with just a fairly simple cross that was quite well placed between two defenders and in in an area where Mendy was had a decision to make about whether to come come for it or not and he makes the wrong one that that it's it's a, it's startling how often that happens with goalkeepers who aren't playing regularly and that's why I, I've always felt that the idea of having a cup goalkeeper for example is a bit uh of a fallacy it's a, it doesn't really work too often in reality because goalkeepers look a lot worse when they're not playing regularly yeah, I guess it, it did show that he was at least fit and can play a game. But anyway, yeah, thanks to Edward Mendy. Good luck at Leon next season. Um, so on Sunday then, Liam, it's Manchester City. We we don't quite know the caveats of it yet. If if um, my boys can beat Arsenal on Saturday night, then then City will already be champions. Well, that that would be preferable for Chelsea, right? You, you don't want to go to the Etihad with them knowing that if they win the game, they are champions. You want them to have been, you know, everybody to the Chinese with Jack Grealish on Saturday night and then we'll play the game on Sunday hungover kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know because I think this all speaks to a piece that I'm, I'm going to be working on ahead of the weekend about how Manchester City seem to take a particular pleasure. And I think I've mentioned this on, on this podcast before, maybe the last time Chelsea got spanked at the Etihad. They seem to take a particular pleasure in really taking Chelsea apart and running up the score in these home games. As you can tell, I'm really looking forward to the seven-hour round trip by car (laughs) up there to see this. So I don't know whether it's going to be a case of 
they still feel like they need one more win and Chelsea end up being the Wigan 09-10 <laughs> where it's just like a 90-minute celebration as the as Erling Haaland runs riot or whether there might be you know a little bit of a Champions League hangover one way or the other that's probably the best thing Chelsea can hope for so whether Manchester City win or lose against Real Madrid maybe there's a bit of an emotional come down after that 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 Chelsea can exploit and and be a little bit more competitive than otherwise but it's just it, it's a miserable trip isn't it I, I i don't i mean i don't envy me first and foremost but i don't envy any chelsea supporters at least i'm being paid to go up there i don't and you you get the etihad press room catering let's let's not brush well that yeah the carpet. I, I mean well let's not because that is the reason i'm going um <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't envy any Chelsea supporters that are going up there. I think they, they, they're gluttons for punishment, particularly if they've been on, on previous trips the last few years. Um, it's, it's highly unlikely to yield anything good. Well, Lucy's just reminded me of the, um, the 2-1 win when Marcos Alonso got the stoppage time winner. I feel like that was behind closed doors though, right? So Chelsea supporters didn't even get to see that one, was that then? It was in the run-up to that Champions League final, yeah. Yeah. So at best, it would have been a heavily restricted crowd, but probably probably with no away fans. Yeah, yeah. Um, Simon, we don't do the quiz much anymore, but can you tell me the last opposition manager to take a point from a Premier League game at the Etihad Stadium? What, as in this season, you mean not Chelsea? You're not talking the, Chelsea. Uh, yeah, the most, the most recent, the most. It's Frank Lampard. It's Frank Lampard. Yeah. Believe it or not, New Year's Eve, one-one draw. We'll take that again. Well, it's up there with um, Everton beating Brighton five-one. Arguably, it's like the shock result of the season, and it's just like <laughs> completely. I, I still, even now, you go, how on earth did did Everton do that? That sound you can hear is a blueprint being dusted off just in time for this weekend. But, you know, it, it's actually a valid point. You know, Lampard will go back, you would imagine, to... I remember saying at the time to people, um, it wasn't really much of a game plan. It's just get everyone put on the ball defending for your lives, isn't it? And, and look, you know, it's been a win and a draw in two games. Two game unbeaten run. Yeah, so so Chelsea aren't exactly like they could be going there in 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 a more best form of the season. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it could be worse. They could be. God, there's actually a lot of laughing today's show. <laughs> but I still, I think there's still partly the image of me bouncing a trampoline park. To, I, I forgot to. I should actually add at this point that this is not me by myself bouncing around a trampoline park it was because it was my daughter's birthday I feel like I have to and she's nine by the way I feel like I have to clarify that I didn't just rock up as a as a very old man and thought oh fancy jumping around a bunch of trampolines today in my spare time anyway that's my tangent of the day uh so yeah, oh, this game. I might go to the trampoline park on Sunday actually, instead of watching this game because it's the only high I'm going to get. Well, look, sources speaking anonymously to protect relationships told me that it was actually quite a sight and and that you were one of the best bouncers there. <laughs> yeah, I, I particularly like jumping in the airbag. <laughs> don't know, don't know whether you ever jumped into an airbag. You, you sort of, it's basically like this big airbag, right? <laughs> And uh, this is so vivid. It makes a beautiful like picture, doesn't he, Liam? <laughs> and 
and you and it, and and so it ends up being like this. Yeah, you sort of like cushioned. I, I couldn't get out to be honest. It was quite hard to get out. I, I felt like I'd going for a nap. If I wasn't surrounded by loads of my daughter's friends telling me to let's do it again, uh, I probably would have done. Um, anyway, I'm revealing far too much of my Sunday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> so Manchester City. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, I think I think Chelsea are going to get an away win to keep Arsenal's title hopes alive. Wow. Okay. Um, well, they are on their fourth best unbeaten run of the season, uh, Chelsea, coming into this one. Uh, so you never know. You never know. Uh, we'll react to that on next week's pod, uh, whatever happens in it. We've done quite a bit of plugging during the pod. Simon, is there anything else that you're working on that Athletic subscribers should be pointed in the direction of? Yeah, so there's there's two pieces coming. Uh, one I one I I can't sort of it's it's coming tomorrow, but I can't say what it is. But it, it's well, I can hint at it, I suppose. We're we're working in conjunction with um, the Blueprint, and it's a story about what could have happened to Chelsea. It's not something we normally do, but it, this is a, a a special situation, and it's going to make for I'd like to think is a what if kind of a sliding doors kind of piece. Um, the other piece is uh, Raheem Sterling, obviously, given the opposition. So I, I'm looking in, obviously, sort of what the future holds for him, but, but also just sort of comparing his season to, to previous ones as he prepares to face his former club. Uh, just for clarity, the blueprint Simon mentions is not the sixth studio album released by American rapper Jay-Z on September the 11th, 2001. How do you know that? Maybe it is, maybe. Okay, you know. all right, fine. Well, I mean, in that case, I really look forward to reading slash listening to it. Maybe me and Jay-Z have been hanging out, you know. <laughs> He's one of my sources to protect relationships, Job. To protect his next album. <laughs> You'd be astonished how many Chelsea references there are hidden in that album. <laughs> um, Liam, how about you? You got anything else in the pipeline? So the Why Do Manchester City Enjoy Tormenting Chelsea piece uh, i don't know if that'll be the exact headline but that's kind of the working <laughs> the working title and i'm also looking to write something about lewis hall uh, because we're finally getting a look at him again uh, he, he had a long time out of the team after january he's a very interesting player to me given that he was a midfielder all the way up through his youth career and he's now playing almost exclusively as a fullback wingback but he'll tell you he's a midfielder, right? I remember asking him that at City earlier in the season. And yeah, he's determined he's a central midfielder. He still will very much tell you he's a midfielder, but his um, his opportunities have come at fullback. And his story, his his development, where he goes from here, here almost speaks to a bigger trend in football at the top level now, where you have the skill overlap between a fullback and a midfielder uh, is getting bigger and bigger in, in some of these bigger teams with the positional experiments that guys like Guardiola are, are running and Arteta, of course, this season as well. So I think Hall is someone who could be at the centre of all of that and the way football's evolving. All right. John Stones, Trent Alexander-Arnold, 
Lewis Hall handshake emoji. Yeah, sounds good. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. We'll be back next week with another show, but that's going to do it for this episode. My thanks to Liam and to Simon and to Lucy and to you for joining us as well. We'll catch up with you soon. Bye for now. The Athletic.